Oh, that's a quite a music lesson we just got in there. Huh? That was that was helpful because I'm ignorant when it comes to, to music and I can't read notes. I don't know what on earth they mean. <clears throat> um, I know when it goes up, you raise your voice and it goes down a little bit. <laughs> Something like that, anyway. And uh, actually, I led singing for years in our church, but it was only out of necessity. Uh, there wasn't anyone else that would do it, so uh, I got. That's why part 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 of the reason I'm, my voice is so gravelly anymore. I think I've preached and did singing and for years, and uh, but now I don't know. I just don't have the same strength, maybe, of voice. But anyway, enough of my problems. Uh, Psalms in one sixteen. Psalm one sixteen. Kind of an interesting psalm, and um, thought this would be a good New Year psalm and good New Year's message, and um, because we find the, you know, we all know about the the uh, New Year's resolutions, you know, and uh, we find here in this psalm uh, some determinations that the psalmist made as he considered. Um, the vast difference between earthly life and walking with the Lord, or worldly life and walking with the Lord, and and earthly life in general compared to what heaven's going to be, and um, and I I think we see that in the psalm. I'm going to read all the 19 verses here, and then we'll come back and and kind of uh, look at uh, several different parts of it, and I hope this will be a blessing. Let's pray, Father. Again, we come to the Lord. We Ask, Lord, that this, this uh, hour or so, this next half hour, will be spent wisely in the Word of God. And, Lord, that, that in this time that you would once again uh, fill us, that you'd once again help us to uh, maybe understand a little more about thee and about the things of the Lord. Um, that, Lord, you'd challenge us here this, this evening. And, our Father, we... We do ask that the Spirit of God would make a difference in our lives using the Word of God tonight. And Lord, we long to be different than when we are, what we are. We long to be uh, different in a good way, of course, uh, a little closer to Thee, a little more Christ-like, having moved on in our Christian experience, having moved on in this thing of spiritual maturity. And so, our Father, we do pray that You would help us tonight. Our Lord, we look forward to meeting you face-to-face, -face, but until that time, we pray that we might be face-to-face -face in the Word of God, and that, Lord, we would receive from you the things you have for us on a daily basis. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Psalm 116. I love the Lord, because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Well, that's a great thought, isn't it? The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. 
Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. By the way, has he not dealt bountifully with us? Um, so much so. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore have I spoken, I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant, I am thy servant, and the son of thine handmaid that has loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. Uh, the psalmist in this psalm um, expresses his desires and uh, determination uh, to answer the Lord's deliverance from his affliction. And he is obviously convinced of the Lord's love and providential work in his life. And rather than treating it like something he deserved on his part or having an entitlement attitude, uh, he was personally motivated to do his best for the Lord from here on out. I, I think that's admirable. Um, we, we live in a society that really has an entitlement attitude. And, you know, I deserve the best. I deserve this. I deserve that. And, um, but, you know, uh, as, he, as he contemplated on the blessings of the Lord, the deliverance, as he mentioned here, of the Lord, uh, the, the good life that God has given to him, uh, he made some personal vows here, which we'll get here in, to in just a, a moment. But his attitude was that I am determined, I am determined to give the Lord my very best for the rest of my life. And, and I hope that that's all of our attitude. It really should be. We could not possibly pay the Lord back for all that he has done for you and I. But I think that there ought to be an attempt to, to do as the Lord would have us to do with his help. And um, just to say thank you and just to say, Lord, you've done so much for me. I've got to give something back. I've got to give something back. And I believe that's what we see with the psalmist here uh, in this psalm. Now, we see in verses 5 through 11 here the difficulties of life. And uh, notice here he says in... Uh, let me see. Um, in verse uh, 3, he says, the sorrows of death compassed me. Well, what does that mean? It, apparently sorrows that uh, in anticipating death, maybe leaving loved ones or uh, leaving those who depended upon him or leaving unfinished business or really the sorrows of life that the writer felt equal to one facing imminent death. And maybe betrayal and the hurt that that causes or 
uh, abandonment or the loss of and death of a loved one, and especially in a tragic way. And then in the rest of the verse, uh, he says, the pains of hell got a, a hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. And so, uh, boy, that's, I think, kind of a metaphor, if you would. The psalmist was a believer. He's certainly not fearful of the fiery hell or the punishment for sin, that kind of thing. But, but really a, a metaphor really to illustrate some great affliction in his life. So it's really kind of repetitive of the first phrase there. Um, and we use that, don't we? We uh, you know people talk, you know, uh, the SEALs, they have, a, they have a week where they are at the end of their training. They call hell week. Why? Because it's very troublesome. It's very grievous. It's difficult. Um, it, it's, uh, it's basically an attempt to get them to quit, if you would. Um, Audie Murphy's story, a World War II soldier, the most decorated soldier out of World War II, and for years after that, actually has a book uh, called, and I believe it's a biography of his life, called To Hell and Back. And I have a book at home called Escape from Hell. Uh, and obviously, it was about a Vietnam battle for a week, and some people, and they finally got out of that. Um, so I think it's a metaphor, once again, illustrating some great affliction or grievous experience. Uh, it could also be illustrative of the pains of remorse or loneliness or abandonment or tragedy, the pains of conscience or memory of disappointment or betrayal. In fact, uh, just as an example of that, I want to go back. David, I believe, wrote this psalm. And uh, back in Second Samuel, uh, again, which is a record of David's life, uh, you remember that that uh, Absalom, his son, in that revolt and that rebellion, we talked about it this morning, um, was killed in that battle. And David, David was kind of at odds with his son, and Absalom was killed, even though he had asked that he may not be killed. And and David was so moved when he got the the news of that. And it says in verse thirty three of First Samuel, Second Samuel eighteen. It says, and the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would God I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And you go on down in verse four of the next chapter. Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. We find here a a man who is obviously grieved to the point that he wished himself dead almost, that he not have to suffer the mental remorse and the brokenheartedness of his son's death. In fact, it's interesting that Joab, who is not a spiritual man necessarily, uh, said, I, I suppose you, you, it, you, you thought it'd be better if Absalom lived and we all died, you know, but um, we find there in David's brokenheartedness over his son something like we're talking about, the pains of conscience, memory, disappointment, betrayal, abandonment, tragedy, loneliness, remorse, whatever it may be. And I think that that's what we see here in Psalm 116. And by the way, that's not all of it. In uh, verse, um, uh, in verse, uh, let me see. Um, he talks about his deliverance from uh from death and, and his eyes from tears and his feet from falling 
and so on. We find in, in these verses here, again, an expression or a revealing to us and those who would read this, uh, his, his uh, sorrow and so on in life. The bitter experiences of life can result in a statement like verse 11. In verse 11, he says, I said in my haste, all men are liars. Now, I'm sure that if he thought about it, that wasn't necessarily true. But at the point, that point in time, uh, in the spur of the moment, all men are liars. It's so similar to Psalm 142. He says, I looked on my right hand, looked on my left, and no man cared for my soul. And that's how he felt at that point in time, uh, the difficulties of life. Uh, some bitter experiences can bring out something like that. Then secondly, we find that the, the deliverance of God demonstrates the goodness of God. And he, verses 1 and 2, he says, you know, I, he heard my voice and my supplications in verse 1. Uh, verse 2, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. And so we see that, that he... Um, he is expressing his thanksgiving over the Lord, uh, hearing his prayers, of listening intently to him. In verse 5, notice here it says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. Boy, that's certainly true, isn't it? Uh, he's merciful to you and I. He's very, very gracious to you and I and righteous. In verse 7, the Lord hath dealt bountifully with me. In verse 8, he delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. So he credits the Lord for saving him from death, uh, from continued sorrow and grief. And truly, the Lord is the God of all comfort, as we are, are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, and of course, many other places. And then the Lord also saved his feet from falling from getting off the narrow way, from his life getting off track. He kept the psalmist in the way that he should go despite of his weaknesses, opposition, and his frailties. In verse 15, this, this verse here, precious in the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. It almost seems like it's kind of, you know, out of context here, but I believe it, it really expresses that the Lord is not indifferent even to our death. He's not indifferent to our trials and troubles, that he is very, very near in those things. So as the writer thought on these things, the ultimate end of this life, the disappointments and the hurts of this life, the fears and frustrations and the failures of man, he also uh, sees the unwavering care and the concern of God. God's faithfulness, God's unfailing love, God's unfailing mercy. And he makes a serious determinations in his life after seeing how much better it is to walk with the Lord. And that's, that's so true. I mean, that's so true. And, uh, you know, I think of, of young people who, you know, they get out of church and, and uh, well, all, all of ages really, uh, you know, people just get out and they get away from God. It is so much better just to continue with the Lord. So much better. So much better. And uh, so we'll, we'll look at that here in a moment. But so in all of this, as the psalmist considers, you know, what the sorrows and the tribulations and the things in life, the uncertainties of life and so on. And then he considers the unfailing love and the mercy and the grace of God. 
he makes these determinations in his life. He makes these choices in his life. And so in verse 12, I want to start out here in verse 12. He asks a question here. And he says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? That's a good question to ask. What shall I render? Or what, what can I do to express to the Lord my appreciation of what he has done for me? Of my appreciation for who he is? Uh, what, can I, what can I do? What can I render unto the Lord for all the benefits toward me? Huh? I hope that we understand that we have a great deal of benefits from the Lord. You know, some people think they have it so bad. and uh, But my gosh, we are so blessed in America, aren't we? We are so blessed. And, and uh, I, am so, I am so glad to be uh, having been raised here and lived here and, and experienced what, what God has graciously allowed us to have here. We are a blessed people. And so, again... We ought to ask the question, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits? Well, the psalmist is going to help us out here. The answer is found in the I wills of this psalm. Verse 9, verse 13, 14, and 17. And I want to look at those here. Number one, he says, I will walk before the Lord. Notice in verse 9. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So I will walk before the Lord in this this life. While I have life, I will walk before uh, the Lord. So as we think about the word I will, it, it really is a deter- he's determined to walk before the Lord. And of course, in a manner that would be pleasing to uh, the Lord. Now, it's kind of like Paul. I mean, there's we have many examples of this. And I want to just give you a couple these come out, this comes out of the book of, of Acts and um, uh, and verse, uh, let me see, verse 20 and, uh, and also the book of Philippians. But in verse 20 uh, of Acts, and let me, let me get this here uh, quickly, in uh, chapter 20 and uh, the verse 24, this has always challenged me, but we know that Paul um, uh, felt that God was... Uh, uh, wanted him to go to Jerusalem, even though that he had been warned over and over that that bonds and afflictions were awaiting him there. Um, and so, but he says, but none of these things move me. And as I feel like Jerusalem is the place that God wants me to be in, and so I am determined to do that which God wants me to do. None of these things move me. I've been warned about this. There's going to be some trouble when I do go. But, you know, the trouble does not move me. I feel like this is what God would have me to do. This is how the Lord is leading me. And, and so as far as these uh, warnings of trouble and afflictions or, or maybe danger or whatever, he says none of these, these, these things, these, these cautionary statements, if you would, move me. Or move me from what I believe God wants me to do. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. Uh, another place, I'm going to come back to uh, Acts um, uh, 26 here in just a moment. So you might want to uh, just kind of mark the place here real quick. But also in the book of of uh, Philippians. In the book of uh, Philippians, Paul makes this statement in chapter uh, 3, and I think you're probably all familiar with it, but 
he says this, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I am not yet in my in the place that I'll be in the resurrection. Uh, I've not reached perfection yet, is what he's saying as you read the verses before that. But he says, this one thing I do. In other words, I am determined here, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so we find a very determined Apostle Paul, don't we? A very determined, I, I will. Now, I think we, we understand that, that our determination and our success in this is not independent of God's grace. I think we understand that, don't we? In other words, with God's help, we'll do this or that. In Acts chapter 26, and uh, as Paul gives his uh, testimony to King Agrippa, uh, he talks about his conversion and his, his mission or ministry in life. And then in verse 22, he says this, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. Having obtained help of God. So we understand there's a determination. There is an I will, but it's I will with the help of God. And that's the attitude we ought to have. I see what the Bible says as I think about what God has done for me, his goodness to me. What can I, what can I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits? Well, I will walk. I will walk in the land of, I'll walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I will walk before the Lord with the Lord's help in the land of the living. Now, of course, our walk. Uh, the psalmist makes, by the way, his mind that this is right, God is worthy, and so I will walk before the Lord. A walk has to do with our conduct, our life, our manner of life, our, our behavior as a believer in this world. Matthew Henry said, it is our great duty to walk before the Lord, to do all that we do as becomes him in his presence and under his watchful eye. Now, I think we understand to uh, walk in his presence or under his watch, uh, watchful eye, it's, it's uh, not to walk in morbid fear of judgment and uh, retribution of the Lord, but to walk in harmony with him, in fellowship with God, to walk in a pleasing manner uh, to God out of gratitude and out of love. We want to conduct our life in such a way as to experience his approving smile. How many of you want to do that? I, I want to do that all the way to the end. I want to do that. Now, let me just give you this thing about uh, uh, Paul said this. And by the way, we don't have to be in wonderment about how to walk in a way that's pleasing. Uh, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. So we have right here how we ought to walk. We have instructions. We have the Bible. Uh, we have everything that we need as far as knowledge of how to walk before the Lord. And so the psalmist as he asked the question, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? Well, his answer was, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I'll walk in a way that pleases the Lord. 
I'm going to conduct my life in a way that he would be pleased with and I would have his smile. And then secondly, uh, secondly, um, in verse 13, he says, I will take the cup of salvation. Now, the writer is already a believer, so we're not talking about justification or salvation from the penalty of our sin, but he is, he is talking about all that is included in our salvation, all that's included in our salvation. And that would include the will of the Lord. I mean, and as we, as we accept, if you would, the cup of the Lord. Uh, remember, Jesus, Jesus talked about the cup of suffering that he was going to experience uh, to his disciples. And, uh, and so we think about here the cup of salvation. It would include all that's included in our life as a believer, that we accept the cup, that we take the cup that has been given uh, to you and I, which would contain the will of the Lord for your life and mine. It would contain the plan of God for your life and mine. Now, the will of the Lord, we find so much in the Bible concerning that. The will of the Lord is the same for, uh, most of the will of the Lord is the same for all of us. Um, but the plan of the Lord will vary and differ. He's got different things that he would have us to do. He's got different directions for us to go and so on. Now, some of these, this is sometimes used interchangeably. I understand that. So, but we're talking about the Lord's plan and the Lord's will. It's the cup that we accept no matter what's in the cup. And that's so important we understand that. We accept the cup of the Lord. That, that's everything contained in our salvation and his plan for our life. It's a surrender to whatever the Lord has for us. It's an acknowledgement of his right to do with us whatsoever God pleases to do. Now, we don't see the psalmist looking into that cup and say, well, Lord, I don't really like this cup. Is there any more cups, right? You know, we don't see that. Uh, we don't see the psalmist looking in and kind of throwing this out and throwing that out and, and uh, kind of, you know, making the cup something that would make him comfortable in life or what he wants to do in life. No, he just accepts the cup, the cup of God's will, the cup of God's plan. All that is entailed in, in the Christian life, he accepts the cup. And have we done that? Um, whatever is in it, he's determined to take the cup, trusting that whatever is in it is God's perfect will and perfect plan for you and I. It is the best way for God's glory it's the best way for Christian growth and holiness and usefulness and joy at the judgment seat of Christ. And we all need to be willing to take that cup, whatever's in it. The Lord's made up the cup. We need to accept it. We need to accept it and drink that cup, if you would, uh, to its dregs. It's the very, very best for us. There's no mistakes in the cup of the Lord for you and I. Uh, there's no, there's, there's nothing that would hurt you and I. There's nothing that, there's nothing in that cup uh, that is is unnecessary. When we think, especially about suffering or trouble or trials, there's nothing like that in the cup. It's absolutely perfect. Do we understand that? His will for our life, His plan for our life, it's absolutely perfect. And then, thirdly, 
in our same verse here, verse 13, and call upon the name of the Lord. You know, that statement's made four times in this psalm, that he would call upon the name of the Lord. In verse 2, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Uh, in verse uh, 4, then called I upon the name of the Lord. And here, once again, verse 13, and call upon the name of the Lord. In verse 17, the last part, and will call upon the name of the Lord. Because he hears, because of the need of a deliverer, the need of comfort, the need of the grace of God in our life, we call upon the Lord. Um, then because of the goodness of God, we should want to communicate with him and fellowship with God in prayer. He hears, he, he pays close attention to those who sincerely pray. And, and by the way, to believe that is necessary to have any confidence at all in our prayers. We must believe that God hears us and our prayers are precious unto the Lord. He hears us and he answers prayer. In uh, in John, First John, I'm sure you know it if you um, memorize verses on on prayer and five and verse fourteen. And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of Him. We must believe that. Uh, James chapter 5, 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, that's what the Lord said. Now, he has told us that, and we must believe that. And by the way, it will so enhance our prayer life to believe that God actually does hear me. He hears me, and he hears you, and he hears the sound system. Uh, God hears our prayers, amen. Um, we must believe that. We, we think about uh, the need for deliverance, and that's obvious in our psalm, verse 3, 6, 8, and 16. Uh, we, find, we find the physical and spiritual needs he prayed to the Lord about. And, and then I just think about the whole psalm and how it speaks of the goodness of God and and why would a person not want to fellowship with such a good God as we serve and trust that God does indeed answer prayers and desires close fellowship with you and I? I will call upon the name of the Lord. Okay, and then in verse 14, this is uh, twice, 14 and 18, uh, we see I'll pay my vows unto the Lord. And then, in verse 14, I'll pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. We find here a, a promise or a vow. I'll pay my vows. In other words, the promises I've made to God, I'm going to keep them. We know about wedding vows, don't we? You know, the wedding vows to death do us part and so on. And for better or worse or whatever. Uh, we make vows when we join the military. If you remember that, I remember when I... I went into the army. We're in L.A., a place called Athey's. Um, man, some run-down old place that they, you know, gave us physicals and all that kind of stuff. And, but they took us in a room at the end there, and uh, after we'd been all through everything and filled out paperwork and everything, they took us into a room, and they had us raise our right hand, and we vowed 
we vowed uh, to uh, defend our shores, our nation from enemies, foreign and domestic. We made the vow. And by the way, that was a pretty serious vow. Because in that vow, we were given the United States government, in particular the army, uh, permission to send us to our death. That's pretty serious, isn't it? And we vowed to protect the United States of America from enemies, foreign domestic. That meant we vowed that we were going to fight, right? No, I know you did that. But we gave the U.S. government permission to send us to our death. Obviously, as you think about that, there certainly could be some hurt and suffering involved, some trouble. The life of a combat soldier is not an easy thing. But you know, as we think about those kind of vows, whether it be a wedding vow or vows to the military, to the U.S. government or whatever, um, how much more worthy is God, as we understand his will and follow his plan for our life, to vow to obey God and to follow him? How much more worthy is he? Obviously, much more so, much more so. Um, we're, we're more, he's much more worthy for us to say, you know something, I've made a vow, I've made a promise, and I'm going to keep it with the Lord's help no matter what. Well, it's a serious thing, I, I agree. Three times in the Old Testament, we're told don't vow if you're not going to keep it. Um, but it's not to be taken lightly, but nevertheless, we ought to make some vows uh, with the help of the Lord to do that which God has for you and I. I, I believe that's right. I believe it's right. Um, we preached before some of the commands of the Bible concerning growth as a Christian. Hebrews 6.1, let us go on to perfection. That, that's a command to you and I. Now, we understand the Lord has his side of it. We understand that. It's, it's really heavy on the Lord's side, if you would. But nevertheless, we are commanded to go on to perfection. We are commanded of the Lord to, to, be a, to, to progress as, as much as, as we can and to, uh, to go on to continue to add to our lives uh, knowledge of the Bible and so on. And, and to vow to do that, maybe to vow to have daily devotions, or, uh, and probably many of you have done that a time or two. And some of those are a little difficult to keep, aren't they? But if we promise the Lord, Lord, I'm going to look into your word every day. Uh, Lord, I'm going I'm to pray and come before thee every day. Lord, I'm going to walk with thee uh, every day. We have a vow to keep ourselves in the love of God, which, which I believe has to do with close fellowship with the Lord. And Jude 21, 2 Peter 1, 5, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to, to knowledge temperance, and so on. And you go on down the list. We, we, have, we have some commands, and I believe those ought to be some of the substance of our vows. That Lord, uh, you want this out of my life, and Lord, with the help of God, I'm determined that that's going to happen. I believe that a vow helps us to keep our promises to God or do uh, uh, what he would have us to do with his help. And wouldn't you agree to that? Have you ever promised someone something? You really didn't want to do it, but because you promised, you did it anyway. <laughs> I think it's a good thing to make some vows to God. When we find that in the Bible, that's the Lord's will for our life. I think it's right to make some vows to God uh, in those areas. Lord, with the help of God, 
I remember before we went to, uh, maybe it was just after we went to uh, Logan to start a church there, uh, I had, uh, one of my Bible college friends came up, David Homer, and he was, he was uh, preparing to go to Hong Kong as a missionary. Well, Hong Kong is a very, very expensive place. He had, way back then, he had to raise $5,000 a month just to live there. And, uh, you know, it's a very cold area. Adults, adults, the only time they take off in the year is for Chinese New Year. That's the only time they take any time off. Otherwise, they work seven days a week. And so I think we can understand how difficult it would be to start a church there. And, uh, and people just don't have the time, you know. And, uh, but we kind of looked at each other, and Dave says, it's do or die. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's right. That's the attitude I have, too, do or die. Uh, keeping those vows. <laughs> we had vowed to go to Logan, and when we understood the will of the Lord, and it was do or die from then on out. The vows, keeping those vows. As we consider the benefits of knowing God, the privilege of knowing God, we also have the privilege of expressing our love and our gratitude in this way. Okay, and then verse um, 17, and I'm done. Like my pastor says, uh, we're coming in for a landing here, amen. Verse 17, and he says, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Well, this is surely in order as we think about what we've already looked at and talked about. Uh, thinking of 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we have a command to be thankful. Um, this is the will of God that you be thankful. In everything, give thanks, it says. And, and uh, the command to be thankful for all that God does for us, all that he has given to us, all that he does give to us, and all that he will give to you and I. Boy, do we ever thank God for the heaven that's out in front of us? Thank the Lord that I'm going to be there one day. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and keeping me. And and um, uh, I've got I've got a reservation in heaven. Amen. Ever since I got saved, Lord, when we have so much to be thankful for, all that He gives, both comfortable and uncomfortable, is good. All things do work together for good. Romans eight twenty eight, uh, and of course eight twenty nine that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. I think we probably all understand that. Not everything feels good, looks good. Uh, it may not even reason out very good to us, but God is putting all of that in the mix for our good. That we, that we not be ashamed of the judgment seat of Christ. That we can grow as we ought, and so on. Thanks, thanksgiving and gratitude is birthed by appreciation. Now, I remember doing a message once on, on Thanksgiving. It was a Thanksgiving message. And so I looked up Thanksgiving, and it said gratitude and appreciation. Uh, okay. So um, I looked up gratitude, and it said uh, appreciation and Thanksgiving. I said, well, <laughs> that's sure a lot of help, you know. Um, but when I looked up appreciation, it said, it said this, to see the value of a person or thing. Appreciate to see the value, oh, the value of what we have in Christ. The value of what we have in Christ. Valuable beyond our imagination. Boy, that ought to, that ought to spring forth into thanksgiving. 
of gratitude and thanksgiving, the value of what we have in him. Much more than anything the world has to offer, right? What shall, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Gain the whole world. You think about what it would be to gain the whole world. Wow, you'd be fabulously rich. You'd be the envy of most, most people, probably. Uh, he's for sure lost people. Um, but that's nothing compared to knowing Christ. You and I are fabulously rich. We are fabulously wealthy in knowing the Lord. And we ought to be thankful for that and offer to him the sacrifice of praise. By the way, that comes in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 of spiritual sacrifices and Hebrews chapter 13, 15, and 16, the sacrifice of praise, even the fruit of our lips and so on, of praising and thanking the Lord uh, because he is worthy of that. And, and certainly he is. As we think here about the, some of the troubles of life and, and uh, we think about uh, David here, um, the sorrows of death compassed me or surrounded me all around. Uh, and then, you know, and the pains of hell got a hold upon me and I found trouble and sorrows. He, as he uh, thought on those things. And then as we see him uh, looking to the Lord for deliverance and the Lord delivering him, uh, his reaction in verse 12 is, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits? And of course, we have the I wills here of David. I'll walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I, I will take the cup of salvation. Whatever the Lord has for me, it, it's good. It's right. It's the best thing for me. Um, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows unto the Lord. And then, and then um, I will offer unto thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Well, I think he answers the question, what shall I run to? These are some good guidelines for you and I in our life, aren't they? Good guidelines for you and I in their life. I, I, I like Psalm 116. And um, I think it, again, a very helpful psalm. Uh, we are listening to one who has been there, so to speak. He's been there, and you read the life of David. There was a lot of grief, and there's a lot of trouble. Uh, there's a lot of warfare. There's a lot of bloodshed, but we find that over and over we find David praising and thanking the Lord. We find him over and over giving credit to the Lord for the triumphs and so on and the victories in his life. And, of course, he too is looking forward to be in the presence of the Lord one day, and we have that promise.